No one will be admitted after the guests check in. some time with my number one boo so, it's not a crime I just imagine that you're just like shoveling around bones and like dead bodies of missing women in there mm-hmm. to pull out your research before <laughs> we started the episode why is it covered in blood Frank no that's not blood that's dirt that's dirt, dirt from a cemetery that's dirt and also jam jam iron flavored jam jams a lot anyway welcome to Motel Hell welcome my name is Ben the Beardo, and sitting very handsomely across from me is... Frank the Fetty. Frank. No, Dick Fetty. There you go. No, Dick to Puss. No, Dr. Dick's a lot. No, the Dojin... Dr. Dojin, that was a... Dr. Dojin. Yeah. The Dick Surgeon. Yeah, if you don't know what Dojin is, go on the internet when you're alone. We should probably do an episode about Dojin. Really? Just an episode about... Just... What it is, why we Pornography... Comics from Japan? Yes. It's going to be a really quiet episode, except for all the... A lot of shuffling of papers and not a lot of talking. Mm, (laughs) And occasionally someone being like, don't look me in the eyes. No, look me in the eyes. Hi. Anyway, uh, we are finally doing it. We are finally doing our Cryptids episode. Cryptids. Uh, We're not doing... Well, let me start over. So, (laughs) we're doing... A very specific type of cryptid, uh, cryptids that are also based in mythology mm. and lore. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, let's talk about the movie Our we watched. Movie, the movie we made, the movie we watched. So we watched the 1990 film Hardware, Hardware. More like hard to watch, <laughs> right? By Richard Stanley. Uh, it features Dylan McDermott and Stacey Travis with cameos by Iggy Pop and Lemmy. Since its release, it has become, and I quote, a cult film. The film is about a self-repairing robot that goes on a rampage in a post-apocalyptic slum. Fleetway Comics sued the filmmakers over the screenplay because it plagiarized a short story entitled Shock, which appeared in a 1980 edition of the British comic 2000 AD. Huh. Didn't know that. Didn't know it. Didn't need to know it. Don't care about it. Yeah. So this was our first time watching this movie, and we kind of been talking about watching this movie for a while and then putting it off, and uh, we're also probably going to ruin the ending because I personally didn't like it. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, no, so spoiler alerts, there will be spoilers. Um, Yeah, I've been wanting to watch this. I mean, I remember seeing this on Blockbuster shelves years ago and thinking it looked cool, and it's about a rampaging robot, so it's it's amazing I didn't see it then because I rented, like, anything with robots... For a long time. Robots are cool. Robots are cool. And there was only like a mild amount of titty, so it's definitely the kind of movie my mom would have been like, whatever, I don't care. Uh, but for whatever reason, never watched it. And I have it on Laserdisc, but my Laserdisc player is currently out of commission, so it's just been put off, put off. But yeah, I, so the short for me is I liked the world building. I liked the world it was set in. I liked the first... 30, 45 minutes, 30, like, yeah, 30, 45 minutes was pretty cool. Like, it was, like, felt like it was building into something big, and then it (laughs) didn't. (laughs) It was, and the the shame of it was, like, they built this whole world, and then they set, like, at least half of the movie inside a fucking apartment. Yeah. Which I get is cheaper, but... And it took at least 45 minutes for the robot to fully be a robot, which can be fine in a movie, but... Yeah, in a horror film, I'm willing to wait for the killing to start. It, it felt like they just kept ending it. Yeah. And then, like, being like, nope, nope, we're not done yet. The movie had more twists than a goddamn screw. Yeah, well, the thing was that it was, there was no good payoff once the rampage started for my taste. Like, I liked that they incorporated all sorts of weird shit. You had, like, Middle Eastern trippy interior decor, a dude who, like, was taking future acid, robots, like 
social commentary, dystopian future shit, all these things. Yeah, but it all like turn turn into like a home, like not even a home invasion, but a no, like a no, that's a good word for it. Yeah, it it was a home invasion with a robot. But the robot was fucking lame. Like the helmet was was cool, but nothing else was, and the. The gore was, like, pretty insane at times when they did it, but it was also, like, the way it was done with everything else, it just didn't come together, and there was, it just could have, it felt like it could have been so much better, you know? Yeah, I I mean, it, I kept waiting for something, like, for it to pick up, and by the time it got to the robot being fully constituted, when she blew it up, I thought it was over. I thought the movie was over, and then... It it comes back, they shoot it, and then it I'm like, oh, back. movie's over again. And then the robot comes back and then tears her off of the roof and throws her into the apartment below hers. And she looks dead, and you're like, well, that it's robot's over. dead again. It's over. And that just kept happening. It had The Metal Gear Solid series has a more comprehensible plot. Oh, I don't know about than, that. Than this movie. It certainly has the similarities of the never-ending endings of Metal Gear Solid 2. I'll give it that. I'd see a similarity there. And also a similarly goofy robot design. Fucking Metal Gear Ray was kind of weak. Don't you talk about Metal Gear Ray that way. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was cool. Lemmy was in it. Iggy Pop was in it. Like, the universe seemed really interesting. Didn't even see him. Yeah, well, you walked out of the room for 30 seconds so you missed Lemmy. But Iggy Pop was the radio guy. Oh. Yeah. So Which you never is, saw him. Yeah, no, you never saw him. But anyways, it, yeah, I mean, it was just like, it was a, felt like a lot of missed opportunities. And I understand how a lot of people could pick up on, like, all the weird shit that just starts to get thrown in, especially in the second half, and be like, this is cool for that reason. But it definitely was like, did it lacked in cohesiveness and vision um, in a way that, for me, I will not be running to rewatch this anytime soon. Like we were, we were basically begging for it to end. Yeah. So I really, yeah, it was. I mean, I give it like, I give the world that they built an eight out of ten, seven point five, something like that. But I'd give the movie itself like. I mean, it sounds like they stole the world from someone else, though. Yeah. Well. They got sued. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I think that was just sort of general dystopian type stuff. I mean, there was a lot of rusty red desert worlds by 1990 um but i think on, on the whole i'd somewhere between a four and a five out of ten like i i, I can't Honestly, really I'd, I'd probably give it a two out of ten wow i was legitimately bored yeah like once the robots started coming i was like oh, okay cool but then they had that whole like 15 minute scene with the creepy fat stalker guy and just literally nothing happened yeah like, he was creepy, but, like, not that creepy. Yeah, he was way better when he was jerking off watching her through yeah. the window. So, yeah, I give it a two out, of, 2 out of 10. Yeah, so anyone who's accused us of loving every movie we review... Know, You're wrong. Know this. Hardware was disappointing. Yeah. And I just... I'm looking at the framed record sleeve I have for the Tetsuo the Iron Man soundtrack and thinking, that's a movie with payoff. You know, he never ramps down. Like, it just gets crazier and crazier. And this movie did that, you know... Well, attempted to do that, but didn't. It wasn't. There was no payoff. Whereas, they're gonna fuck the whole world at the end of Tetsuo. Well, like you said, and they do it in eighty minutes, a brisk sixty minutes. If, of the if, first if you're gonna have a creature feature, which is essentially what this is, the the thing in it, the creature, the robot, whatever, needs to look cool. Yeah. And then they kill it with a fucking shower. Yeah. They just turn on a shower. Yeah. What? Yeah. I understand it's electronics. You don't want to get electronics wet, but yeah. like. Really? It's it's a combat rope. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We don't like every movie we see here at Motel Hell. No. Moving on. Moving on. To our topic tonight. Mm. So Dick Fanny and I each picked a cryptid that is both steeped in some kind of myth or lore, but has also had sightings throughout the world and stuff. So for anyone who doesn't know, cryptozoology is essentially a pseudoscience that is trying to prove the existence of folklore-like monsters, so like the Chupacabra, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, stuff like that. Any creature that could or could possibly exist. Um, Some are more believable than others, like the Tasmanian Tiger. But um, I'm going to have Dick Fetty kick this episode off with uh, his cryptid, which I'm very excited for. 
Okay, so I did actually two cryptids, and they're both going to be pretty short. So I think of two things when I think of cryptids. I think of the chupacabra, which I was originally going to do, but then there's so much about that that I wanted to do it justice and didn't have the time for that. So next to that idea, went for my other, my other boy, my wet boy, the kraken, and... Yeah, I uh, I love tentacles, and I think anybody who's been listening for a while on this show knows that. Yeah. So cephalopods are cool. Yeah, this was this was pretty easy for me. So more arms equals more fun. I will say that as far as research goes, I hit a little bit of Wikipedia, and Wikipedia pulls from some primary sources. Well, relatively primary as far as cryptids can go, they it pulls from some Icelandic eddas, and. Uh, I went to some other websites that are sort of like the UFO type websites that you see where they basically collect information that's already out there. And I, I tried to find more and without finding a book as far as Krakens go, like there wasn't really honestly a ton of information, partially because they're cryptids that turned out to be real things and mystery solved. So, yeah. So the, the kraken is a legendary cephalopod-like sea monster of giant size that is said to dwell off the coast of Norway and Greenland. Authors over the years have postulated that the legend originated from sightings of giant squids that may grow 13 to 15 meters, 40 to 50 feet in length. The sheer size and fearsome appearance attributed to the kraken has made it a common ocean-dwelling monster in various fictional works. Sounds like you're describing my dick. Yeah, it does. So... There's a bunch of cool pictures. I mean, basically, it's like a giant octopus atta- attacking ships. Octopus, squid, anything yeah. with tentacles. If you've seen uh, Clash of the Titans, which, original Clash of the Titans, awesome movie. Yeah, fucking rad. If you've seen it, what? It, it's in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, true. True that. Um... So etymology, the English word kraken is taken from Norwegian. In both Norwegian and Swedish, kraken is the definite form of krake, a word designating an unhealthy animal or something twisted. Cognate with the English crook and crank. In modern German, krake, plural and declined singular, kraken means octopus, but also can refer to the legendary kraken. I did not realize you were going to go for full like etymology research in this. Well, it's short, why not? Yeah. So, I mean, it's animal or something twisted. It's it's an octopus or a squid. It's like a twisty animal. Yeah. You know, so... Twisty, slappy animal. It's a slap ships. Yeah. I like it because it's... The Kraken's so simple. It's just a simple cryptid in the sense of... It is... There's not a lot of really mystery. I mean, there's some... I'm going to get into some descriptions before they sort of figured out what giant squids are. But also, the other cool thing is... As far as the deep sea goes... We don't know what's down there. We can't get stuff. We can only bring our submarines and whatever so far. And the biggest creatures that dwell, like, are... There's not very many of them. And the chances of seeing them are, like, one in a bajillion. So there have been giant squids and giant octopi that have, um, especially in the past, like, 20-some years, surfaced. And then people have recorded it and whatever. I think some of them were in... I want to say New Zealand. Japan obviously found one of the um, first, like, super giant mega squids. And... They sometimes get them in Antarctica and things like that. Well, there's there's the colossal squid, which is pretty big. And I know for a while they were trying to even catch any of them on film, and then they had to like send a camera down really yeah. far and had like bait on it. Mm-hmm. And then, this must have been years ago. It was only a, like 20 years ago. Well, there's That's... a reason that we don't have any in captivity is because we don't know how to keep them alive. Yeah. Like, we, we haven't been able to catch a full-size one alive, and... Uh, the way they reproduce giant squids that is they like shoot their eggs up and then they hatch and they go up and then they descend back down to the depths so there was I think it was like a Discovery Channel show where they caught a bunch of the babies and within like a few hours like they were all just dead yeah yeah and so there's the colossal squid which is big but the giant squid which is even bigger and there are preserved non-adult specimens semi-preserved and I'm going to get to that in a minute uh, but that that's basically your way to see the real Kraken, which is pretty cool. So, in the late 13th century uh, version of the old Icelandic saga, Orvar Alder, and I'm doing my best here, I don't know Icelandic very well, is an inserted episode of A Journey Bound for Helluland, a.k.a. Baffin Island, which takes the protagonist through the Greenland Sea. And here they spot two massive sea monsters called 
Hafgufa, Sea Mist, and Lingbakar, Heatherback. The Hafgufa is believed to be a reference to the Kraken. Oh, this is... Yeah, so this <laughs> article I have, it just, like, mashes the Icelandic and the English between one another, and it's very bizarre and a little difficult to read, so I'm not going to. Uh, after returning from Greenland, the anonymous anonymous author of the old Norwegian natural history work, Konungus Skugsa, Skugsia, <laughs> circa 1250 uh, AD or AD or AC, what do they call it? I don't know. Described in detail the physical characteristics and feeding behavior of these beasts. The narrator proposed that there must only be two in existence, stemming from the observation that beasts have always been sighted in the same parts of the Greenland Sea, and that each seemed incapable of reproduction as there was no increase in their numbers. So I'm going to just read this uh, description here. There is a fish that is still unmentioned, which is scarcely advisable to speak about on account of its size, because it will seem to most people incredible. <laughs> there are only a very few who can speak upon it clearly, because it is seldom near land, nor appears where it may be seen by fishermen, and I suppose there are not many of this sort of fish in the sea. Most often in our tongue, we call it Hafgufa, Kraken, in E.G. Lawrence M. Larson's translation. Nor can I conclusively speak about its length in L's, because the time he has shown before men he has appeared more like land than like fish. Neither have I heard that one had been caught or found dead, and it seems to me that there may... blah 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 blah. Then too, neither would it do for other fish if the Hafgufa were such a member were of such a number as other whales on account of their vastness and how much substance they need. It is said to be the nature of these fish that when one shall desire to eat, that it stretches up its neck with a great belching, and following this belching comes forth much food, so that all kinds of fish that are near the land will come to the present location. Then will gather together, both small and large, believing they shall obtain their food and good eating. But this great fish lets its mouth stand open for a while, and the gap is no less wide than that of a great sound or bite, and nor the fish avoid running together there in great numbers. But as soon as its stomach and mouth is full, then it locks together its jaws and has the fish all caught and enclosed, that before greedily came looking for food. So basically, when I read that description, it almost sounds more like a whale shark, how they just like hugely open their mouth and then suck in all that stuff. And they is it krill or plankton? I forget. I think it's plankton. But anyways, they basically like spit all the water back out and they filter the their food with their teeth. And so I don't know if they confounded the Kraken with whales or whatever, but they describe it in other Eddas. So the Eddas were the, they're sort of like Homer's Odyssey and the Iliad and that kind of like epic tales uh, that originated from Iceland. And basically uh, the Norwegians and Swedish sent out the like Vikings and their equivalent um, to Iceland and Greenland and whatnot to populate these places and eventually North America. And so the Eddas are mostly um, basically Norwegian transplants who came to Iceland, and then it's like their ancient folklore. And when I was in college, my freshman year, swinging a ton of weed and doing a lot of mushrooms and listening to a lot of Enslaved, I was really into the Eddas because I would read them and then take drugs and be like, I'm a fucking Viking. And it was <laughs> super rad. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, so... Yeah, and they go on to talk about how basically, like, the Kraken was, like, a huge... It was almost like an island rising out of the sea. And, I mean, what they're describing here is, like, a giant fish, quote-unquote, that, like, vomits up sustenance for other fish. They all school together, and then it just, like, brings its massive jaws around it. I imagine sort of like the sandworm from Dune, Shai Halud, if you will. Yeah. And, um, you are Paul Mordiba. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean... Basically, sailors saw them. They were said to be able to, like, crack a ship in half. There's accounts of, like, their tentacles running up the, you know, the sides of ships. And, and basically, they could, they were so massive and so terrifying that they could essentially destroy anything without much effort. And, like they said, they couldn't imagine that there could be more than two of them in the whole world because uh, they were so huge that how could, you know, the world's vast fucking oceans sustain them, which obviously is a little silly, but... Considering the small amount of squids that we've actually seen, it does kind of like, or semi-adult giant squids, it, it kind of makes a little sense. And I think a huge part of that is, um, you know, all those types of cephalopods or fish or whatever, it's like, yeah, they might have a clutch of 100 eggs, but two of them 
might make it to adulthood and probably like one, you know, because those delicious eggs are like caviar so for tasty. all the other uh, sea creatures. Cephalopody. So Kraken was extensively described by Eric Pontopodden, Bishop of Bergen, which is in Norway, in his Dead Force to Forsang Ba Norges Naturalige History. The first attempt at a natural history of Norway. Pontopedon made several claims regarding Kraken, including the notion that the creatures was sometimes mistaken for an island, and that the real danger to sailors was not the creature itself, but rather the whirlpool left in its wake. However, Pontopedon also described the destructive potential of the giant beast. It is said that if the creature's arms were to lay hold of the largest man of war, that being a ship, they would pull it down to the bottom. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think they just call it a fish because they didn't have a name for a cephalopod. Yeah. Everything in the ocean was a fish back then. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, still true. So, yeah. Um, in 1802, French mal Pierre-Denis de Montfort recognized the existence of two kinds of giant octopus in History Naturelle Générale et Particulière de l'Emuscus. An encyclopedic description of mollusks. I am very turned on right now. Montefort claimed that the first type, the Kraken octopus, had been described by Norwegian sailors and American whalers, as well as ancient writers such as Pliny the Elder. The much larger second type, the colossal octopus, was reported to have attacked a sailing vessel from St. Malo off the coast of Angola, which is in Africa. Montefort later dared more sensational claims. He proposed that ten British warships, including the captured friendship of the line Villa de Paris, which had mysteriously disappeared one night in 1782, must have been attacked and sunk by giant octopuses. The British, however, knew, courtesy of a survivor from Villa de Paris, that the ships had been lost in a hurricane off the coast of Newfoundland in September 1782. Yeah, a hurricane of krakens. Resulting in disgraceful revelation for Montfort. Mm. Crack-a-cane. Yeah. Now nah, it just sounds like a hurricane of people smoking crack. So I'll end my cracking bits with this. Well, two things. First, I'm going to read Alfred Tennyson's 1830 poem, The Irregular Sonnet, The Kraken, which described a massive creature that dwells at the bottom of the sea. Are you going to read it in English? Yeah, he was in English. I'm just making sure. Oh, it's been a lot of, you know... Norwegian and such? Yeah. So, below the thunder of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea... His ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep, the kraken sleepeth, faintest sunlight flee. About his shadowy sides, above him swell, huge sponges of millennial growth and height. And far away into the sickly light, from many a wondrous grot and secret cell, a numbered and enormous polypi, winnow with giant arms in the slumbering green. There hath he lain for ages, and will lie, battening upon huge sea worms in his sleep, until the later fire shall heat the deep, then once by man and angels to be seen, and roaring he shall rise and on the surface die. Cool. Yeah. They uh, talk about the Kraken as a giant squid in Moby Dick. I'm going to recite that at your wedding, by the way. Thank you. Okay. I uh, want to talk real quick about this sort of offshoot of the Kraken from the Bahamas. Ooh. So, the Bahamas Islands off the southeast coast of Florida are a hotspot for encounters between divers and a mythical gigantic octopus called the Lusca. That's awesome. Yeah. It is supposed to inhabit underwater caves, especially the large, nearly vertical underwater caves that are commonly called blue holes, which is what I call my dick. My, my, uh, my, uh, Your the, vagina? Your no, vagina. No, you have no, a blue the, whole, the whole of my penis because I choke it. I choke it till it turns blue. Saved it. You saved it. Thank you. Nailed it. Thank you. Unlike other octopi, the Luska is described as aggressive with many actions that could be interpreted as threat displays, mock charges, or even attacks on human beings. Report of the Luska size vary from 75 feet long to a staggering 200 feet long. That's awesome. Besides its giant size, one problem with the Luska's supposed existence is that deeper parts of blue holes generally have no oxygen dissolved in the water, making it impossible for anything other than single-celled creatures to stay there for long. Divers can enter because they have air tanks, but nothing with gills can stay there for long, or it will die from asphyxiation. No shit. So, <laughs> we don't have necessarily evidence of Luska's, but... I mean, there are generally octopi in coral reefs and reefs and water and shit. They they do that. I just 
the idea of a giant squid or a giant octopus or any giant anything with tentacles mm. hits me as like the coolest sea monster. Because like you know most sea monsters like you know they'll just bump your boat or the head will come up and they'll try to bite you. But like right. fucking kraken gets a hold of you, bro. It's like it's hugging your whole ship. Like you're fucked. Yeah. Fucked. Yeah. So I mean the the cool thing about the kraken is it shows up in one of the uh, what do they call them Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Right? Yes. Yeah. So that's there. And it's also the name of a rum. Yep. So. I believe it's. Is it also mentioned in uh, 10,000 Leagues? Yeah. So basically, they, they deal with a Kraken like. they. I think they call it like just a giant squid, if I remember correctly. But, you know, the, so there are differences between squids and octopi, obviously. Uh, but they're quite similar. And I can imagine if you saw a giant one and you just see tentacles. Who's making those fucking distinctions, you know? Um, but I didn't want to, like, really spend a lot of time going into the... I didn't want to turn this into a Discovery Channel episode and talk about all the different subspecies of giant squids and whatever. I almost did. I had all this research, and I was just like, I'm just going to cut this. But needless to say, they are super fucking cool. If you ever get to watch any kind of nature documentary that has squids in it, just watch it. Squids are so yeah. fucking cool. Squids, octopi are cool. Yeah, octopuses. when I it's actually octopuses. Is it octopuses? Yeah. So when I was in Seattle last summer, we went to the aquarium there, and they had an octopus demonstration. And so I was sitting there with like twenty other kids that were all under the age of twelve, and I'm you know <laughs> six foot, like sitting there in front of all of them, as close to the tank as I can be, and. They, they basically, they keep, like, a single octopus there, and they have, I think they said they keep, like, two in the back in case something happens to the one, but basically, like, they sort of get them from the wild, they nurture them, they let them grow, and then when they get too big, they let them back out into the sea, but they do research and whatever, but they're super smart, and they're, like, food-driven, and they're famous for, in aquariums, or, yeah, aquariums, um, They'll escape their enclosure, go to another area. Like, there was one, there's a video, I think, of it where it eats the shark, or maybe I just read about that. It, I, I, there's there's a bunch of stories of them, like, squirting water at lights that are bothering them and shit. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're, they're smart creatures, and uh, they, they can definitely fuck you up, and they have, like, incredible strength in their tentacles and suckers and all that. So it is believable in the sense of... These creatures could attack a boat, but would, uh, you know... Would it? Probably not. Yeah, because wood does not taste good to a squid. They want yum, fleshy yum-yums, so... Well, yeah, I think they're a little bit more intelligent than a shark. I wouldn't think it was a giant whale. Yeah. Fun fact, people used to think that uh, sperm whales were being eaten by giant squid because they'd find, like, sucker marks and stuff on them Mm -hmm. when they beach, and then they eventually cut one open and found giant squids. In its stomach, so... Yeah. Yeah, they're the primary predator for giant mm-hmm. squids. Which is uh, Is cool. it sperm whales or is it blue whales? Sperm whales. Yeah. Blue whales don't... I don't... No, it's sperm whales. Yeah, I think you're right. Whales are cool, and they're dying at an alarming rate. Yeah, just like bees. But I will say that the one thing is, you know, the whole krill plankton populations have all changed because of global warming and everything, but the whole world is drowning, so I'm excited to see... What new sea creatures... I mean, granted, they're, like, hundreds of millions of years old. Like, their evolution has been slow and not needed to change. They sort of, like, mastered that whole swimmy boy thing. Yeah. But you never know what could pop up, and I hope, like, some kind of crazy Toxic Avenger whale comes about when, like, some nuclear plant unloads its hot waste all up in some whale's guts. Yeah, I just really want sea think monsters that's how it works, to be real. Yeah. Sometimes I just Google the word sea monsters... Yeah, images. And this this part of the other reason I did the Kraken was, it reminds me of the Fisherman's Dream, the the, the lady fucking an octopus. Yeah, yeah. the lady fucking octopus yep. picture. I just love them tentacles, and I like them on a titty. Yeah, really. no, that's true. Where it, it like wraps around the titty, and then the end of the tentacle is like kind of on the nip. Yeah, that's hot to me. So, uh, yeah, and the and the and the Kraken rum. I drank that a few times. Yeah, I drank that for quite a while. Yeah, it was. It's it's cheap. So for those who don't know, Kraken rum is cheap and very strong. It's a dark rum, and it comes it, in a cool bottle. Yeah, it comes in a cool bottle. It says "Release the Kraken." It will fuck your night up. And yeah, we have a mutual friend, Ryan, who used to when I used to party with him. Obviously, before we got sober, it 
like that was drank quite often and it was always quite bad. It yeah. was quite good. Yeah. I used to say yar a lot and yeah. And people would be like, Stop it, you're causing trouble. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. I guess I'm gonna just do I'll do a super short version of the second one and then we'll get to yours. So Okay. Uh, the other one I picked, because I love Web Boys, is the Leviathan, which is as biblical of a cryptid as it is, I guess, just a regular cryptid. So, the Leviathan comes from Hebrew, uh, is a creature with a form of a sea monster from Jewish belief. In referenced in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Job, Psalms, and the book of Isaiah, and the book of Amos. You're welcome, everyone. And I thought Amos was, isn't that a car company? I don't know. Well, I mean, a, a don't rental they make car. Cookies? Rental, rental car agency. Amos? Yeah. I wonder if there's a sea monster behind that cookie car, cookie cookie factory. The Leviathan of the Book of Job is a reflection of the older Canaanite Lotan, a primeval monster defeated by the god Hadad. Parallels to the role of Mesopotamian Tiamat defeated by Marduk have long been drawn in comparative mythology, as have been wider comparisons to dragon and world serpent narratives, such as the Indra slaying Vitra, or Thor slaying Jormungandr. But Leviathan already figures in the Hebrew Bible as a metaphor for a powerful enemy, notably Babylon, Isaiah 27.1. And some scholars have pragmatically interpreted it as referring to large aquatic creatures, such as a crocodile. And the word what later came to crocodile. A, a crocodile? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's, is that not how you say it? Crocodile. Crocodile. I thought that was how it was pronounced. I love how half our jokes now are just us repeating things to each other. <laughs> it's called comedy. Yeah. And it's based on repetition. The word later became uh, used as a term for great whale as well as sea monsters in general. So I do want to stop on this too real quick. So I used to play Magic the Gathering as a kid. They have, there's a Leviathan, there's a Kraken, there's a Juggernaut, there is a, there's multiple types of Juggernauts actually. There's Pyrexian Juggernaut and the Fire, uh, what was the other one? But anyways, I love those things. I love the idea of like a huge creature so impossibly big it couldn't even support its own weight, much like Godzilla, if mm -hmm. you will. And uh, I also love Godzilla. And it's just cool to me. And it sort of, as somebody who never really, I mean, I did all the, the Catholic growing up school stuff, the CCD and whatever, I made my sacraments. But I didn't read the Bible. I mean, like, I got shit to do. But all this shit comes from the Bible, or a lot of it does, and especially the words, like Juggernaut and, and Leviathan. You heard it here first, kids. Dick Fetty thinks the Bible's cool. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it actually is kind of cool when you read, like, the Old Testament's so fucking... It's all just, like, banging your sister yeah, and your again, mom and your... You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You guys did it right. Why do you think we know how to party? <laughs> <laughs> World's gonna end, Leviathan's gonna eat us. Let's get drunk and bang our sisters. So, yeah. The name in Hebrew is a derivation from the root, also in Hebrew, <laughs> which means to twine, to join, with an with an With a literal meaning of wreathed, twisted in folds. <laughs> What just happened? I can't. I couldn't say the word. Adjectival. Ad. Adjectival. Adjectival. There we go. Nailed it. I had that in me. Yeah. Both the name and the mythological figure are a direct continuation of the Ugaritic sea monster Lotan, one of the servants of the sea god Yum Yamu, defeated by Hadad in the Ball Cycle. <laughs> you said Ball Cycle. Yeah, but it's Ball like the cool kind, like Ball. Yeah. So B A A L. Anyways, Leviathan is like this big world-eating serpent. Uh, you know it, or a giant whale, or yeah, it can be many things, and it essentially is just another version of like. It, I think that both what the Kraken and the Leviathan do is they tap into that sort of collective unconscious and fear of the unknown, and the deep, deep sea is the most unknown part of the whole world, and we still have barely mapped out. A fraction of what the deep has to offer and the idea that there could be some massive creature so huge beyond human comprehension that it could swallow the world which okay it's not gonna be that big but like pretty fucking big like eat like big big whales and it's even bigger than that like that it's pretty cool and it's, it's pretty also, fucking cool. yeah and it's pretty scary because you look at if you're ever in like the the deep ocean like out in the ocean off the coast like like in that deep shit you look down you don't see the bottom 
Yeah. You don't know what's down there. Yeah. Imagine just being out of a ship, seeing nothing but ocean for miles around you. Yeah. And so, basically, you know, I'm not going to go, I don't want to go more into the whole, all the Bible appearances, but it's important for both uh, Judaism, for um, the, the, in the mythos we've talked about, I, I just described before that, and it's also important to Christianity, Christianity and Gnosticism. It makes an appearance over and over, this idea, and I think it's like one of those things where we pick words and symbols and, again, uh, attach meaning to them over generations. And this idea, like the word itself, Leviathan, just sounds like it's ingrained on a deeper level of culture. Like, we all have an understanding of, or I think a lot of people have an understanding of, Leviathan means like a big-ass sea monster, you yeah. know? And um, and so it's, it's then in turn used into new mythology and, and can be many different things. And so... These are cryptids, but they're also not like your usual. I saw them out in the woods when I was taking a dump. But I saw I that goddamn goat sucker again. Yeah, yeah, he sucked my sister dry. No, I mean these are these are like unmanageable, and they basically they they tap a little bit of that Lovecraft thing, or Lovecraft really tapped into them. I mean, I think he tapped into them. Yeah, his whole Cthulhu mythos, or like the not the mythos itself, but the idea of like actual Cthulhu who dwells in the deep. I mean, he's a he's a version of Leviathan. He's a version of literally has tentacles on his yeah. face. It so, takes all my favorite things: sea monsters, bats, bats, aliens, ivory statues, ivory statues, evil gods. Yeah, uh, being so massive, so powerful beyond human comprehension that you literally lose your mind. And this this is maybe uh, we could announce it. It's going to be months away, but. Tiny precursor to a upcoming eventual H.P. Lovecraft episode. Yeah, we're not going to promise anything. Yeah. You know what else is a cool word besides Leviathan? Albatross. Mm. And an albatross is a bird. Right? And albatross is a band. Yeah. So... They were a cyber grind band. Segue that into my thing, which... We're going to the skies, baby. We were in the ocean. We're going to the skies. If you've ever played Shadow of the Colossus, know that they can come in all shapes and sizes, and we're taken to the skies for this colossi. Yeah, yeah. So my cryptid I did was the Thunderbird. I, I guess I'll kind of uh, preface this with, you know, the other things that the Thunderbird is in. It's a car. It's... I think it's also something made by Firefox for some. I think it's like an email service for Firefox or some mm. bullshit. I don't know. Um, it's also one of the houses in the American School of Witchcraft and Wiz Wizardry from Harry Potter. Fun fact for you. Really? Yeah. There's also one in Fantastic Beasts somewhere to find them. Really? That big old bird. Well, I never read or saw a film. You never saw it? No. Oh, that's good. I like Harry Potter. Yeah, but me too. As far as the myth goes, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty much North American indigenous peoples, Native American, stuff like that. Um, and it's very well integra integrated into their culture. You see them on totem poles and everything. <laughs> yeah, bet. You do? <laughs> uh, so, like, in the Northwestern, when they have, sometimes it's the Thunderbird, when it's, like, the big, yes. big bird-looking thing? Yes. Okay. Uh, so American Southwest, East Coast of the United States, the Great Lakes and the Great Plains is really where it's from. Okay. In myth, it's described as this giant bird with a huge wingspan, and it can actually control weather or is like a precursor to bad weather. Sure, okay. Uh, it's said that when it flaps its wings, it creates thunderclaps. And that it can also cause rainfall or shoot lightning from its eyes. That's fucking awesome. Giant birds. <laughs> that was lightning sounds. I did that very good. I'm but gonna, like, come on. I'm gonna insert some like super powerful thunder. Please and, uh, do. Lightning. I hope you do. Yeah, I will. Um, Note to self. <laughs> Note to self. So the origins of it are not completely known, but a lot of. Uh, Researchers believe that it's based on actual sightings of birds, just mm. big birds that they didn't know what they were. <laughs> That's shooting thunder lightning. <laughs> I, I like I that Native it. Americans have a southern Well, accent. I feel, I definitely feel like if I was to do a Native, there's like a lot of racism I'm willing to engage in, but something about the noble Native American, I just don't want to be like, I don't want to no, do no, that. No, 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 you're good, you're good. I'm not going to do it. Stop there. <laughs> oh, man. 
<laughs> what is some kind of dang dung thunderbird? And even more so towards the cryptid side of it, uh-huh. uh, some people believe that Native Americans were seeing like pterodactyls and pterosaurs and old living dinosaurs, and that's where the idea of the thunderbird came from. Pterodactyls are what? What dino age are they from? I have no idea. Didn't go into it. Okay, fair enough. Don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Be like, you want to just cover dino? We could do a dinosaur episode. Best dinos. Five, top five. Top five dinos. <laughs> That's going to happen. Mesotheliomasaurus. Yeah. When it looks at you, what do you, call you get blind dinosaur? pains. <laughs> what? What do you call a blind dinosaur? What? Do you think he saw us? What do you call a blind dinosaur's dog? Do you think he saw us Rex? Moving on. It's from Jurassic Park. <laughs> So, uh, in Algonquin mythos, the Thunderbird controls the upper world, and the underworld is controlled by the underwater panther, no joke, which is fucking awesome, or a great horned serpent. So either an underwater panther, Uh or a giant fucking snake with horns. A unicorn snake. Yeah, I could have one less horn. cool. <laughs> it does sound, but it also sounds pretty cool. Imagine you see a big old horn coming through the Great Plains. You know all this. I mean, I'm just about where giant animals. Where are the Algonquins? Are they Pacific Northwest? I believe so. I think. I think. I'm. I didn't research where the Native Americans reside. So okay. <laughs> I'm gonna put that forth. I did most of my research went into like very particular sightings and stories about it. Okay. Um, I just wanted to cover this stuff because, like, that's this is where the name comes from, like yeah. the Thunderbird. I didn't even get it in any of their native tongues because sure. I'm not even going to try that. Yeah, that that would be rough. Yeah, and, that would be pointless and probably kind of rude. Thunderbird, how? So the Thunderbird in the Algonquin mythos throws lightning at the underworld creatures and creates thunder by flapping its wings. Thunderbirds in this tradition are commonly depicted as having an X-shaped appearance. So the drawings of them, they look like a big X. Kind of like a butterfly. Yeah, but a giant scary bird that fucking fights underwater panthers. That's sick. I should have just done this whole thing on underwater panthers. Yeah, that's what I call my dick. Oh, now I'm just thinking about a cool-looking black panther with a fucking scuba mask on (laughs) and a tank. Scuba, scuba. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was... Mm. Cut that out. That was actually pretty decent. <laughs> I don't know. That sounded like a so frothy panther. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there, this one I do have where they're located, but the uh, Menominee of northern Wisconsin tell of a great mountain that floats in the western sky on which d- dwell the Thunderbirds. So, Laputa, the floating city, mm. which is also super cool. Yeah. Um, if anyone can't tell, all this mythology and cryptid shit gets my dick hard. Yeah. Uh, they control rain and hail and delight in fighting and deeds of greatness. They are enemies of the Great Horned Snakes, which is the Misikinubik. Misikinubik? Mm-hmm. I think Misikinubik. I, I know him. Yeah. He works at the bodega. Yeah, I think I, I crushed that. That's a Native American word, not an Indian word. It's bodega in Wichita City. Wichita Falls. Yeah. <laughs> You've been to Wichita Falls? Yeah, that's where I used to live. Yeah, when you were like five. No, up until nine, almost ten. Hey, you don't remember any of it. I do. I just was back there two years ago. For what? What'd you do? A road trip. For, for Yeah, what'd you do there? I went to an AA meeting, and I stayed in some girl's house. Who, who was it? My Airbnb host. Was she I forget. Yeah, she was okay. She was a doctor. She was smart. That's cool. She was nice. Did you murder her? No. Uh-huh. I was with my girlfriend. She wasn't about that. I mean... I didn't hear any Thunderbirds, but I did not go to a bodega either. Continue. So, they do this to prevent these things from overrunning the earth and devouring mankind, the the, the giant snake guys. And they are messengers of the great sun himself, which is a Native American god thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, the Thunderbird's a messenger of the sun, yes. not the snakes. No. Okay. Snakes are bad boys. Yeah. And then we got the the OGB version, Ojibwe, O-J-I-B-W-E, Ojibwe? Sure. I, I think I, I think I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. 
uh, version of the myth states that the Thunderbirds were created by Nana Bazho for the purpose of fighting underwater spirits. They were also used to punish humans who broke moral rules. The Thunderbirds lived in the four directions and arrived with the other birds in the springtime. In the fall, they migrated south after ending after the ending of the underwater spirits' most dangerous season, which is something I do love about Native American like mythos stuff. That like it's like ah uh, well you know it's winter we don't really have to worry about Thunderbirds this year you know <laughs> Thunderbird season is over. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, I think part of what makes a lot of Native American mythos extra interesting is. That shit was basically still active and happening in a way that European fantastic belief had largely been changed by pre-industrialization. But, like, like we were... Technology had moved us forward and away from a lot of that. I mean, there's still a lot of... Um, uh, what do they call it? Like, uh, not luck, like uh, superstitious thinking. You know, by the time we were colonizing America or... Uh, you know, North and South and all the rest and all there were a lot of these. But I mean, these were people that were still living in a way that was we had sort of moved past 500 or even more than that years before. I mean, really like like a thousand years yeah, before that. A, yeah. So, you know. Christianity of, takes back a long yeah, that's, time. Yeah, that's a good point. And honestly, even the Romans, I mean, there was always this level of superstitionness, but there and there were Native American cities and things like that. There were really huge booms of populations and uh, large population centers, although they changed with disease and everything else. But, I mean, when we came here as white settlers and all the rest, like, and there destroyed was... destroyed everything. Yeah, but, right, when we were in the process of doing that, like, these were still people that were holding on, not holding on to, but, like, engaged in a belief system that we had, like, largely, in many ways, abandoned. I mean, we just replaced it with a big-ass building with a white guy who bleeds a lot, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, it, so it's, I think it's, it's very... At least for me, I find it extra fascinating because it feels like being in touch with a an older genetic memory of or, or an older understanding of the way the world works. That's uh, can be simple in some ways, but like makes sense when you're more in tune. Like when you're living uh, a less technologically dependent lifestyle, having myths about the seasons to describe weather and the hunt and whatever else like makes some fucking sense. So. And it's super fucking rad. Yeah, well, and it's also fucking rad. So that's pretty much all I got for the mythology okay. side of the Thunderbird, so... Let's talk about their dicks. The cryptozoological side of it. Zoological. Uh, Zoological. <laughs> the the, the Thunderbird is a cryptozoological creature. Oh. So, once again, it's, it's described as a big fucking bird. Yeah. Just okay. a giant fucking bird. Pterodactyl that shoots lightning from its dick. Yeah. Pretty much. They can live anywhere from northern Canada to, or they've been sighted or believed to be live in northern Canada, Alaska, down to Central America. And also in the floating fucking mountains in the sky. Did yeah. they not listen to the myth? No, they did not. Okay. And there are, like, other giant bird cryptids and stuff, but, like, mm. I didn't want to go too into it. Um, I just like the idea of the Thunderbird. I think it's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. But. Definitely turns what I think to be such a lame-ass fucking car into something way cooler. Yeah. When yeah. I'm thinking about that stupid-ass car. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that car. Don't actually fuck it, but. Zoom, zoom. Zoom, zoom. Uh, and, and this, in, in, I pulled this part from Wikipedia. It does mention that uh, in some of the mythology, it's believed that the Thunderbirds could carry away the whales. Mm. But. You know, not not these supposed cryptid ones. Um, they're described having a wingspan of anywhere from eight to ten feet, which pretty is pretty fucking, fucking big. big. Yeah, or or larger. It's almost as big as um, my dick. And standing anywhere from four to five feet tall. So big fucking birds. So we're talking about like cranes, albatrosses. What are the, what are those? Are the ones? Blue herons. Herons. Yeah. Um, that was. It's like the Jersey Devil. Vultures. Yeah. Yeah, well... That was, what, the sand crane, I think it was, that they, they thought a lot of those settings might have been? Yeah. Sandhill crane. Sandhill crane. Yeah. Um, think, think of, like, a big, scary shoe uh, shoehorn, or shoebill stork. You know what those are? Yeah, They're I fucking do. awesome. Yeah. So cool. Anyway, 
Um, and in some cases, it's described having a white ring around its neck and like a feathered head, like a giant condor or vulture, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I didn't go too much into this, but there were a giant bird at one point in history. It's been dead for hundreds of years. That was that could like some cryptozoologists are like, oh, it's fucking, it's fucking that. Yeah. And then others describe it being essentially some kind of pterosaur or you know winged dinosaur, something okay. like that. Which, if you are of the winged school of dinosaurs, which is now like, and has actually even before Jurassic Park came out, is the primarily accepted school of thought that dinosaurs had, in fact, feathers and such. Yeah, which which is why I love now, like, all this cryptid stuff about seeing dinosaurs, none of them had fucking feathers. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it goes to the sort of idea of a pterosaur, although I guess I'm... Let's not get into it. Never mind. I, I need to do some pterosaur research because I feel like there's some things I was reading recently about them that was like, uh, what? But I don't remember what they are, so I'm just about to make shit up. Do it. I'm all ears. No, I don't. I have no tongue. Tongue my ears, bro. So I'm going to kind of get into the sightings. I'm going to start with one of my favorite ones, which is one of the earliest recorded ones. Okay. Um, which takes place in Tombstone, Arizona. Oh, where the movie is. In 1890. Tombstone. Yes. I apologize. I forgot to uh, write down this, where I took this article from. But so, uh, and I'm going to get a little bit more into like the description of what was supposedly in the article and stuff like that. But the Tombstone Epitaph, uh, supposedly published. That now people That's say. That's a newspaper. Yes. Okay. Uh, it, oh, because it's the. Town's name Tombstone. Yeah. That's fucking. That's that. This happened in Tombstone. No, no, I get that, but I just think it's so cool if you call your newspaper the Epitaph and your town name is Tombstone. That's fucking great. Yeah. That's the real story here. Yeah. We so, need to have better named papers. This story was apparently published. Uh huh. Uh, but well, they also. So published I'm, I'm going to break boy. it down real quick. There was this story about these men, and they supposedly killed a Thunderbird uh -huh. and took a picture in front of it, mm -hmm. and they printed the picture and the story in the Tombstone Epitaph Okay. on April 26, 1890. Albeit, no one's been able to find the picture. Okay. So. Disappointing. Yeah, a lot of cryptid hunters got their dick all hard for it. And you can look online. There's a ton of people who have faked them. Yeah. Because, you know, That's Photoshop. That's what they do, yeah. It's fun. So this is kind of a recount of supposedly what the article said. A winged monster re resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings was found on the desert between the Whetstone and Huachuca, hu Huachuca Mountains. Someone mm -hmm. correct me uh, Help, by email if, if uh, I said that wrong. Last Sunday by two ranchers who were returning home from... Who uh, that mountain? Uh, the creature was evidently greatly exhausted by a long flight, and when it was discovered, it was only able to fly short distances at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so they f they see it, they kind of like freak out. Um, the horses are startled, and of course they have Winchester rifles. You see a giant bird. What are you gonna do? You're gonna fucking kill it. Yeah, it's called the Wild West. So. <laughs> Get, get that damn bird out of here. That's some kind of Mexican bird. Take my cattle. So they start chasing the thing because it's like, you know, flying for short distances at a time. But build it's a giant wall. bird, so it's able to fly great distances. Did you just say build that wall? Yeah. You know, walls won't keep out Thunderbirds. They can fly. I know. That was that was part of the joke that I was making. Oh. I was really tickling myself inside. I was like, got to say it. <laughs> We're getting political here. Don't, don't. Put your politicals into my Thunderbirds. All right. All right. All right. Thunderbirds. I don't think they talk like this in Texas. Or I mean, in, in Arizona. In Arizona. I, don't, I don't think they do either. I don't think so. That's just my go-to American accent. Yeah. And I'm from here. Yeah. So. America. America. So they start firing at it, and they kill it. Yeah. They essentially they kill it, and they bring it back to town, and. It is about, they measured, it's about 92 feet in length, and the diameter was about 50 inches. Hmm. Monster only had two feet, these being situated a short distance from the front where the wings were joined to the body. 
the head, as near as they could judge, was about eight feet long, mm-hmm. and the jaws were thick, thickly set with strong, sharp teeth. Its eyes were as large as dinner plates and protruded about halfway out from the head. Doesn't sound real to me. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. Okay. They had some difficulty measuring the wings and stuff, and they also cut off a part of it and they hung it up on the outside of a barn and took a picture in front of it, and then they printed the story. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, from everything I could find, a lot of people say the story was real. Yeah. Like that it was actually printed, not that the story itself was real, but that, right. that it was printed. Yeah. Whether or not there ever actually was a photograph, who knows? But at the time. Tombstone uh, was going through some financial troubles because a lot of the silver and gold mines were drying up and not a lot of people were coming out there and spending money. So it's considered that either, yes, this was definitely real and this happened, or a possibility is that they were doing this to kind of, you know, be like, hey, come on out to Tombstone. We killed a giant fucking thing. Yeah, we killed a Thunderbird. We killed a Thunderbird. Why don't you come on out here and, and have fun? It's called a tourist trap. I get it. Come for the Thunderbirds, stay for the tombstones. <laughs> stay for the tombstones. So that was one of my favorite ones because I just think it's cool. And I remember seeing photos of that like when I was real young. Like, me like, yeah. oh, God, I'm, I'm going to find fucking Loch Ness Monster, bro. I'm going to find like, it. Photos of the article. I'm going to do all this. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, like, fo- like, you know, faked photos of them oh, okay, standing okay. in front of the bird. And we'll post, we'll find a couple and we'll post them on the Instagram sure. once this episode's up. Absolutely. So, moving on, April 10th, 1948, three individuals in Overland, Illinois, spotted what they originally thought to be a passing plane, but after seeing a large set of flapping wings, they realized this, and this is in quotes, plane, mm-hmm. was something very different. Uh, it was a giant bird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, they described a bird-like creature with a body shaped like a naval torpedo. And it was flying at least 500 feet and cast a shadow the same size as a small passenger airplane. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one of my favorite ones, and I I can't find the book, but I have a book somewhere called Cryptozoology A to Z. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't have it anymore. Maybe I'll need to buy a new copy. But I got it when I was in middle school or maybe even younger. I remember reading it and reading this story about Thunderbirds, and I was like, one of my favorite cryptids. That's cool shit. I hope that shit happens. So, uh, July 25th, 1977, a 10-year-old Marlin Lowe was playing outside of his family home along the open fields near Kickapoo Creek. Kickapoo. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? Near Lawndale, Logan County, Illinois. At that point, two giant birds passed over. One suddenly swooped down to grab the boy, carrying him a few feet before dropping him, apparently because of his frightened mother's screams. So, this actually happened in front of a few people. Like, mm-hmm. a few people saw this happen, and the mom, like, ran out, like, saw the boy getting fucking carried away by a bird. Oh my god, that's my boy! And, uh, it was pretty wi- widely reported at the time. And then there were some sightings in 2002 of large birds-like creatures with a wingspan around 14 feet in Alaska, and there's been sightings as recently as 2007 I was on cryptozoologynews.com today, Mm -hmm. and um, they had stated that in Pennsylvania, a woman had witnessed one. It, like, flew over her car and shit, but I could not find what year the fucking article was from, because it's a news site about cryptozoology, not MSNBC, so... Yeah. Couldn't figure that one out. So, what... Some cryptozoologists theorize is that um, that the Thunderbird myth is based on sightings of real animals mm-hmm. with uh, like mistaken identities. So they posit that the Thunderbird was associated with storms because they followed the drafts the same flight. So like modern eagles ride mountain currents and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And my boy was mentioned in this. Uh, John A. Keel, who wrote The Mothman Prophecies, which we will eventually oh, get nice. to, guys, I promise. But we are, we're doing a cryptid episode now, so you're going to have to wait. Um, and he actually mapped out, like, a bunch of sightings and stuff of, like, the Thunderbird, of, like, where it's been seen and stuff. Sure. He did a bunch of that 
that stuff. He loved aliens and cryptids, and um, he was like part of that like hardcore community that was doing all this stuff. And he was a huge proponent in the Mothman sightings and the occurrences and stuff like that. High strangeness. Yes, high strangeness. So Angelo P. Caparella, an ornithologist at Illinois State University, argues that the existence of such undiscovered large birds is highly unlikely, especially in North America. There is not enough food in many areas where abnormally large birds are reported. Perhaps more important, according to Caparella, is the lack of sightings by the legions of competent bird watchers scanning the skies of the U.S. and Canada, who sometimes make surprising observations with cameras at the ready. So, pretty much, it's kind of um, impossible for them to exist. Yeah. But a lot of people also consider that they're just condors. Yeah. Like, they're just big birds. And there were a bunch of videos I saw online of, like, uh, Thunderbird caught on tape. And it's literally, like, you can't, there's no way to compare its size to anything else. It's just a photo, like, a, a, a video of the sky... And a bird flying, and it, it could just be a fucking bird. Yeah, it's like a pigeon. Yeah, it's super zoomed in. Fucking ridiculous. Well, I mean, that's what I was trying to look up when you were talking about the the child in Illinois who claimed to have, uh, you know, supposedly started to be carried away. I think it's one of those things where wild shit does happen, and animals can act pretty far outside of their normal scope of behavior, and I was trying to see the range of the different types of vultures in the country. Like, I think vultures are famously, uh, you know, have attacked small dogs or babies and those kinds of things, which is unlike a vulture in the sense that they normally eat carrion, and also, who wants to grab a screaming child? From what I understand, the the birds that are native to that area Mm -hmm. aren't strong enough to lift a boy off the ground. Yeah, sure, right. So it's, I mean, it wouldn't... It wouldn't be outside the realm of possibilities that a giant bird might come down if it was a particularly small boy and try to grab him and maybe gets him an inch or two. You know, like, I could see that and I could believe. Because it's like you tell the story, right? And, oh, a bird flew down and attacked my son. Kind of crazy, not that exciting. You say, giant bird flew down, moved my son a few feet. You got yourself a story. Yeah. You got yourself a news story. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of these accounts sort of happen like that. And once you start to exaggerate, like... My drug use was wild, and there are times where it's slightly exaggerated when I retell a tale, but it doesn't... The, the general gist is true, and it's, you know, you never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? And I think it's the same with this type of stuff, where it's like, there's probably kernels of truth in most of these sightings, but I don't believe anything could be 100 feet and fly, 100 yeah. feet long, you know? Like, even if that was its wingspan. It, it's, you know, it's... This is one of those things, because, like, I kind of categorize all, categorize all this stuff in my head of, like, you know, so, stuff that's somewhat plausible to stuff that's, like, the least amount plausible. Yeah. So, like, um, I can't remember the name of the, that fish that was discovered that everybody had a whole hubbub about, mm-hmm. but, like, everyone thought it was dead forever. And that was a cryptid at one point. Like, people were convinced it was still alive, and then they eventually found one. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. I don't know what you're talking about. They're, look it up was online. It deep, deep sea fish? Yeah, it was. A, it's a it's a fish that everyone thought was extinct forever. Okay. And um, there's a, a thylacin or the Tasmanian tiger. I might butcher the pronunciation. Pronunciation, um, but the Tasmanian tiger was something that was hunted to extinction. Yeah. Because they made a, they made a movie about that a couple of years ago yeah. with uh, Willem Dafoe. I think was in it. Maybe. Yeah, it was supposed to be like weird and disappointing. But, but supposedly there is still some left, and it is plausible that like they're hunted so much that they became fearful and they went further into the jungle yeah um because the a lot of the areas where they're said like where cryptozoologists and people who are looking for them where they're supposed to be is very like heavily densely populated by jungle and and all this other shit so that could be possible this one not so much yeah sea monsters maybe that'd be cool yeah, I mean, the sea is infinitely less explored than the sky, as it were. And I don't disagree that you probably got a lot of bird watchers out there. But, I mean, there are some big-ass fucking birds uh, that fly through the skies. And America's got some... I think we, like I think our vulture species are bigger than those. I know they have those huge fucking rock vultures that are in like Germany and the Swiss Alps, and I think, 
where they will take bones and then drop them from the sky and break the bones open so they can suck out the marrow. They exclusively live on bone marrow. They're super cool. They have yeah, this, this yeah. They have these big uh, feathered heads, and they, I think the feathers are white, but they basically they use like a certain kinds of rocks, and it sort of dusts them all up mm-hmm. so they look red and gold and green and whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean vultures are like all you have to do is see a vulture sit in a tree in your backyard and then have it open its wings, and they look fucking gigantic because they yeah. are fucking gigantic. And, and especially, like, any kind of bird of prey because normally you're not going to get that close Yeah, to normally one. you're hundreds of feet. Like, they're way up in the sky, and right, like, I mean, eagles' wingspans are big, but, yeah, I agree. It's definitely super interesting, and it 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 certainly seems like these were just real birds that were given extra bonus significance, yeah. but there was there was a few other like things like I had considered doing um, for this before you even picked the kraken. Like I looked into doing the Mongolian death worm because I just think it's fucking rad. And it's yeah. Supposedly this like giant worm that looks like intestines that lives in the Mongolian desert that can shoot acid at you and fucking electrocute you and. But literally no one's ever seen it. Yeah. <laughs> literally no one has ever seen it. And it was like first documented by some explorer who was in the area talking to native tribes in the Mongolian desert. It's like a snipe hunt. Yeah, exactly. And they sent him on a snipe hunt. Yeah. So I I pretty much just brought that up because we're never going to do a whole episode on that. But, yeah, sure. You know, cryptids are fun and they're fun to learn about. And there's some really cool pictures online of that people made of them. Yeah, that's that. Those things are true, and I will say just sort of on this Thunderbird note, if you are interested in uh, the American Indian or Native Americans, whatever you want to call them, the Museum of the American Indian in D.C. is an exceptional museum, and I went there. I took a class that was half history, half like an actual education, like learning how to educate people class. And it was one of those ones where we did, like, tons of group stuff and had to do all these online comments and all that shit was a big pain. But it was all on uh, American Indian, Native American tribes, and I did mine on the Ketchum tribe, my final project, which are the the people that are described in Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. And so I went to the museum to do some research there. And it's, it's generally an exceptional museum. It's part of the... I'm pretty positive it's part of the Smithsonian, so I think it's free because it's your tax dollars at work. I don't think it's private, although it could be, though, because a lot of Native American stuff is private because they're kind of like, fuck you to the federal government for really good reason. So, I can, you know, maybe check out, if you're poor, um, whether or not there's an admission fee. But it's really, really good museum if you're ever in D.C. and you're into museums. So, But as always, thank you for listening. Uh, if you like what we are doing, then please rate and review us on iTunes or you know, give us a shout on Instagram or tag us in something, send us an email. It's all Motel Help Podcast, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Gmail, all the rest. You know the usual stuff. So we'd love to hear from you, get your feedback and thoughts. Um, but yeah, we're we're back into the swing of it. Feels good. Yes, hopefully, um, I mean, we'll see. My kid's going to be due pretty soon. True. So we may have a hiatus, we may not. It depends on what happens because god only knows yeah well and we we try to bank episodes in advance so maybe we we go strong through february and then there might be a little gap in march but we'll see we'll see what happens we'll we'll do our best guys yeah we'll keep making them if you keep jerking off to them yeah and and yeah so keep keep jerking keep squirting later nerds later nerds